You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Happy hump day, everybody. I wanted to try a little bit of a different intro today. Hopefully that got us all pumped up for this upcoming podcast. Uh, And if you don't know, now you know. You're listening to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. I'll tell you what, today's podcast is another good one because returning for the, I don't even know how many times, we're going to be talking to good friend Justin Zarr of bowhunting.com. And as always, this is just a really good podcast, a good BS session. Uh, We talk about early season so far. Um, We recap a little bit of my elk hunt. We talk about his Wyoming adventures. We talk about him getting uh, literally the blood sucked out of him by mosquitoes in Wisconsin. And then we talk a little bit about some early season hunting tactics So uh, that's what today's podcast is about. Now, if you haven't already, you need to go to bustedrack.com. And the Nine Finger Nation t-shirt is there. It is available, but it's only going to be there probably through a little bit into October, and then we're going to take it down. So go out, buy the Nine Finger Nation one-of-a-kind t-shirt, because once we're done running it, it will not be ran again. So take advantage, go to bustedrack.com, and that's where you're going to find the Nine Finger Nation t-shirt. It's already been a success, but I'm keeping it up just a little bit longer for those who maybe didn't know about it or those who haven't heard about it yet or whatever. So take a take a gander at that, my friends. Um, what else? I usually do some of this stuff on the front end of the podcast, or on the back end, but I'm going to do it on the front end today. If you haven't already, you guys need to subscribe to the Sportsman's Nation podcast, the Whitetail feed and the Big Game feed. Man, we've got a lot of awesome new content coming, uh, or already up. We have the Iowa Sportsman, so if you live in Iowa, uh, where I live, I don't know how many of you do, but uh, we got a podcast dedicated to... um, 
outdoors and hunting and fishing and trapping and waterfowl and fishing and hunting and deer and turkey and everything. Everything you need to know about Iowa and outdoors. The name of that podcast is called the Iowa Sportsman Podcast. That is hosted by yours truly. We also have a new addition to the Sportsman's Nation. I don't know how many of you guys bear hunt, but my man Clay Newcomb, has, he's the owner and editor of Bear Hunting Magazine. He came out with a podcast. That's on the network as well, so keep an eye out for that. And if you haven't already, go to iTunes, leave a review, let everybody know what you think about this podcast and all the other podcasts on the Sportsman's Nation Outdoor Network. Go to social media, blah, 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 like, click, share, Nine Finger Chronicles, Sportsman's Nation, and I think we're good to go, except I got to say, Exodus Trail Cameras. Guys, if you haven't taken a look at either the Lift 2 or the Trek from Exodus Trail Cameras, you need to do so. So go check out all of their basic, basically specs on the exodusoutdoorgear.com. Check out the specs. I mean, it's a direct-to-consumer company, so you are saving money by buying a trail camera. You're getting more than what you would get if you were buying in retail, and the reason is because of the margins, right? They they don't have to pay a uh, they don't have to increase their price for a trail camera because they're not selling them at a store, so the store isn't having doesn't have to take a cut. So what you're doing is the money that you're paying is going straight to the product itself. So you're getting a higher quality product for a cheaper price. Um, and that's why I'm a huge fan of Exodus Trail Cameras. Go check out exodusoutdoorgear.com. And if you decide to purchase a trail camera, use the discount code 9FINGERS. That's the number 9, followed by the word FINGERS. And you, my friends, will receive $20 off of your purchase. Now, enough is enough. Let's get into today's podcast with Justin Zarr. Three, two, one. Justin Zarr is back. That's I it. I'm back. That, that's I'm all alive. I'm going to say. You haven't had all your blood drained? Right? I've had a lot of it drained by mosquitoes uh, over the last few days, but fortunately, not enough to kill me yet. Dude, I tell you what. A lot of these people... I. I you know, you get a vibe online that their mosquitoes are bad this year, but you've been hunting. Now tell me, is this just people bitching or is it legit the mosquitoes are that bad where it's unbearable to even be outside? I It is unbearable to even be outside. At one point in time last night, I considered dropping all of the gear that I was carrying, which was probably like $1,500 worth of like, probably more than that, three grand worth of camera gear tree stands, everything. I considered dropping it and running as fast as I humanly could back to my truck while crying the entire time because the mosquitoes were so awful. I was inhaling them. Like as you're just walking around breathing, you're breathing them in. They're so thick. It is, it is awful. You know, where we're at here in Northern Illinois and I was hunting Southern Wisconsin last night, like it's relatively flat land, um, not much elevation change. And there's a lot of swamp areas and just a lot of stagnant standing water and it's just a mosquito breeding cesspool. Um, so for the guys that are in like hillier terrain where I, I hunted southwest Wisconsin a couple times, mosquitoes are still bad there, but they are nothing like they are around here. I've never in my life seen them this bad 
this late in the season. It's ridiculous. Do you think that the mosquitoes are so bad that the deer will move away from where they're really thick just so they can get away from them? I don't think so. I don't think they bother deer the way that they bother us. I watched two little bucks last night come out of being bedded in the swamp. You know, I walked 10 feet into that swamp last night and literally turned around and left because the mosquitoes were so bad. And those deer were just laying in there. So I just, you know, they're used to it. It doesn't bother them the way that it bothers us. But, yeah, they are they are they're pretty awful. And we looked it up today. Did you know that a mosquito lives for something like 45 days or something like that? Really? We looked it up online. Yeah. And everybody's saying that this last hatch that we got came, I think, like around Labor Day weekend, like something to do with the conditions. We got a bunch of rain. And then it was hot and whatever. So, like, I think we're in for another couple of weeks of this hell. So I don't even know what the early first couple of weeks of October are going to bring. I've never had to hunt with a thermocell, like, actually in the tree with me until last night. I actually stopped at Walmart on my way to go hunting just to buy one because I knew they were going to be so bad. Okay, did it work? It did. Hell, yes, it worked. Okay. Absolutely. It took it a little while for it to uh, kind of get going because it's got to heat that little pad up. And once uh, once like the little smoke or whatever started coming out of it, the mosquitoes were tolerable enough to the point where like I could actually take my face mask off and put my hood down for a short period of time. Um, so, yeah, it, it definitely worked. So I this was like two or three years ago. I mean, relatively down where I uh, hunt mostly, it was a dry summer until recently, right? Um, and I remember one year, it was fairly wet. We got a lot of rain. There was standing water in some of the low spots, kind of just what you talked about earlier. And I was walking through about knee to waist high grass and weeds to get to where I wanted to uh, hang a tree stand. And I would just watch these mosquitoes every step I took come off these plants. And I look behind me and it's just like, I'm, I am the reason that I'm kicking up these mosquitoes walking, walking through yes. there. And it was so bad that I had a cigar because every turkey season I buy a pack of cigars, right? For some reason, I, I don't smoke cigars normally, but I have, I buy a pack of uh, cigars and I enjoy a cigar or two um, and some bourbon after my turkey hunts. And I had a cigar left in my truck and I lit that sucker up and I set my next tree stand while smoking a cigar <laughs> and it helped, it helped a little bit, not necessarily on my arms per se, but around my face and whatnot. And I'd take a puff and blow it and, and it, I'm I, sure it helped. It helped a I little picture bit. You, I picture you kind of as like Arnold Schwarzenegger's character in Predator. <laughs> smoking a cigar <laughs> as you're hanging a tree stand. Yeah. Yep. That body, that body type too, right? Definitely. For yeah. sure. Yeah. Body double. So, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I've, I've definitely been in some really thick where, where it's to the point, like you said, where it is, it becomes the only thing you want to think about kind of like when your feet get cold in a hunt. Yes. It's the only thing you want to do is get back to the truck. That's all. Yes. That's all I, last night was that night for me. I actually had to stop at one point in time and take a sweatshirt out of my backpack and put it on and then put the hood up because they were attacking my face and my head so bad. I put my gloves on during my walkout. And it was like, 
in the low 70s, so it was pretty warm. And I was carrying I – me- I, I, I weighed all my stuff the other day between camera gear, stand sticks, bow, everything. I have like 52-ish pounds of gear, and I had all of it strapped on my back. And I'm walking around with like a long sleeve shirt and a sweatshirt with a hood up. I'm profusely sweating. Mosquitoes are attacking my face. It was absolutely miserable. And I like, I, I could just laugh to myself and think like, why, why do we do this to ourselves sometimes? Right. All so we can go try to shoot a deer. Right. It looks like it's going to start cooling up though. Uh, Thank like God. For opening for, okay. So Illinois season, has that already started? No, October no. 1st, same okay. as you guys. All right, October 1st. So it looks like a cold front's coming in uh, like this this weekend to, I don't know, Tuesday of next week. Like it's going to rain a little bit and the temperatures are going to drop. So oh yeah, like opening, opening weekend might actually be, or opening week might actually be pretty good. Yeah, we got our first 30s at night on Friday night. Yeah. Into Saturday morning. Now, by opener, yeah, it's still going to be cool. But the nice thing is, so Friday looks like it's going to be nice, and it looks like we got some weather moving in on Saturday. I'm probably going to hunt Wisconsin Friday evening, so that could nice. actually be be productive for me. Well, I want to get into talking a little bit about early season stuff here in a bit, but what I really want to hear from you right now is your uh, Wyoming antelope hunt. Because, because I went to uh, bowhunting.com and I watched the uh, I watched the, oh, the videos and it was what'd you say like five out of six people were successful and you were the one that was not successful. No, not even five out of six. I think like in total, I don't know how many antelope hunters they've run through camp, but it's got to be I don't know. I'm gonna say thirty. And I think I'm the only dude that didn't kill an animal this year. Literally the only person, you know, which is just so. (laughs) And and I will tell you what is even more frustrating. So, you know, for any people that haven't hunted out West, you know, specifically like antelope, maybe, you know, mule deer and elk and stuff don't necessarily count because sometimes they live in more, you know, timbered areas, but antelope essentially live in the wide open, right? You could, you could see them for miles away and antelope can see you from miles away. Their, their vision's like a turkey vision, right? So the thing is with an antelope is, and I know this is is bad to say and hope nobody takes this the wrong way, but I mean, if you shoot an antelope, so long as you hit it somewhere that's going to kill it, you're going to find it, right? There's no such thing as like losing an antelope because there's nowhere for them to go and hide. You can literally watch them run, lay down and and die, right? They're not going to bury themselves in a swamp somewhere under a deadfall or whatever. Right. Right. So the frustrating thing for me is like, you know, if you've ever talked to any outfitters, like you hear some horror stories about, uh, some of the the shots that that people make and some of the unpreparedness that happens uh, on all sorts of different Western adventures. And, you know, I know for a fact, there was a lot of people that shot antelope in air, like where I'm talking, they're they're literally feet away from where their arrow should be impacting, yeah. two, three, four feet away, and they're still killing their animals. And you know, here I am, I shoot, I mean, like four inches low, and I graze one off that that antelope's stomach on the last morning. You know, I come home empty-handed, and I'm thinking, shoot, I was literally four inches away maybe less from, from putting a really good shot on an antelope 
but here's these other dudes with their trophy photos of their antelope where they like shot the thing in the ass, yeah. you know, and then had to shoot it three more times. Yeah. Uh, so it's a little frustrating from that perspective to be like the only guy that didn't kill one. But at the same time, like I actually feel better uh, about making what I thought was a good shot and just barely missing versus like if I had to, you know, be like, yeah, I shot this antelope. And now, oh, by the way, I had to shoot it six times to kill it. Yeah. So I guess there's some sort of consolation in there somewhere. So you were hunting with Dustin the crew out yeah. uh, at uh, Bighorn Outfitters. Now he owns yes. that outfit. Was he pissed at you that his his success <laughs> his success rate for 2018 is low because of you? That's not 100%. I don't, I, I don't think Dustin was mad at me. Dustin's business partner Rich was probably mad at me because <laughs> he was guiding me <laughs> the whole time and he like kept putting me on antelope and you know, I think the worst, not the worst part, I, nothing about the trip was bad. I mean, to be honest with you, before I even, you know, went on this trip, knowing that I was going with a bunch of, you know, guys from our team and friends, and there was like a whole group of us out there that got to hang out for those few days. Like, I really, there was a couple guys that went with that I was really more nervous that they wouldn't get an animal than me. Like, I didn't really, I mean, I, do I care? Yeah, I mean, I care that I didn't shoot one, but, like, I wanted these guys to get one worse than I wanted myself to get one. And fortunately, they all did. Um, but what ends up happening is when those guys all tag out in the first day or two, and I'm hunting, you know, so what they do is they drive around, they look for antelope, they just have a good gay old time. They park up on a hill, and they get the spotting scopes out, and they're watching around my blind. So they might be, you know, a half mile behind you watching, and they'll text you you know, Hey, there's an antelope coming over the hill and I can't see it because of whatever there's a hill and the thing comes over the hill and it's feeding in front of me. And I'm like, okay. And I'm clicking the range finder. It's, you know, 60, 65 yards. And I'm like, I'm not shooting like 50 was my limit, you know? And these guys are all texting me. How far is he? He's right there. Why aren't you shooting him? Cause they're watching from afar. So I got the <laughs> peanut gallery, you know, and I'm getting text messages from like four different people. Shoot it. Just shoot it. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, no, it's too far away. And they're like, if you don't shoot it, we're going to come kill you. You know, and I got <laughs> I got Scott from my buddy Scott from HHA was was there. And he's like, shoot that thing or I'm pulling your sponsorship. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm not shooting it. Damn you. Just leave me alone. I've never heard of that. Actually, like <laughs> you're actually getting criticized while you hunt. Typically, people get criticized after they hunt yeah. right not while you're hunting so it's almost like live it's like live television oh he should yes. they should have passed it instead of run it or whatever yeah they're like the commentators so it was uh man it was an awesome experience i gotta tell you i mean for anybody that's never been out there what a freaking blast yeah that is i mean just the amount of animals that you see is freaking amazing and i had my opportunities to be honest with you you know i had a chip shot on day one i should have been the first guy tagged out you know in the first three hours of the hunt and i just you know, freaking wasn't paying attention. I barely nicked one of the supports in the blind when I shot. I mean, like an eighth of an inch, just barely hit it enough to throw my arrow underneath that antelope. And that was, you know, day one, first three hours of the trip. And then the last day, last morning, I had like four hours to hunt that morning before uh, we had to leave for town to catch a, a plane home. And, you know, once you know it, I go back to that same spot and the same two antelope we'd been hunting like all four days. It did exactly what they were supposed to do and came through and I just, you know, screwed up the shot. I had them at 45 yards and man, the shot felt good when I let it go. Just 
literally bounced it right off the the bottom of his stomach, and that was all she wrote. So what maybe is, next year. What's considered a good antelope? I don't even know. Uh, well, I think Pope and Young's like sixty-seven inches. I think is Pope and Young, if I recall. So you is know, that, is that what you were kind of going for? Was yeah, I wanted to shoot something that was probably Pope and Young or bigger. I was probably going for like a seventy-plus. I think Scott, uh, his was right around that seventy-inch mark. The other guys were probably mid-sixties on their ghosts. But man, there was some really, really good antelope shot. You know, while I was there, a couple definitely well into the seventies, which were really, really nice goats. I think the one that I the first one that I missed, I don't know, it was maybe mid to high 60s. The second one was probably a 70-inch goat. Um, it was a nice one. You know, he wasn't a giant giant, right. but he was a, a good one for sure. Right. Well, and then on the video I was watching, it's like there was Pope and Young Bucks just hanging out in front of oh, the guys as well. Yeah. The amount of whitetails, because we were hunting, uh, a couple of us were hunting hayfields. Our alfalfa fields and like the amount of animals that are just like there's no green anywhere and then you've got these you know man-made irrigated lush green fields in the middle of a of a desert you know essentially and all the animals just congregate in these hay fields i mean you can drive by a hay field at any point in time all day every day there's animals feeding in those fields guaranteed yeah. uh, white tails there's mule deer there's antelope i mean it's freaking insane so yeah, I saw a couple of real, real nice uh, whitetail bucks while I was there too. You see any uh, good mule mule deer bucks? I did, I did. Yeah, I saw a couple of good mule deer bucks. Uh, I wasn't in a great mule deer area; it was mostly antelope and whitetail. But I did see a couple couple good muleys one night. All right, so here's my question, and I'm asking it because I want to know what I need to do. I went on a elk hunt, uh, public land, right, and uh, with a with a bow. And success rate is 11%, right, for archery in that unit for elk. Now, is that considered high, low, average? That's average. So 11% success rate is average. And then, you know, obviously I I feel that if kind of going down the path you went, uh, some like – if you were to do it on public ground, I would say that your the average success rate is a little bit lower because you've had you know you got the guide or the outfitter kind of putting you in some decent spots on some uh, like lower pressured spot. Would you agree with that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so my question to you is, and I don't know, it doesn't like public versus private doesn't matter. Would you keep hunting elk until you get an elk? Or Ooh. knowing that you have one Western trip a year, you can you can plan. Do you keep? Should I keep hunting elk to hunt elk till I get one, or should I branch out and try an antelope hunt or a mule deer hunt in a different state? Uh, well, I can tell you what I did <laughs> after my one and only failed DIY elk trip was I decided, uh, I'm going out West and I'm going to try to shoot a mule deer. <laughs> and I did. So I decided not to keep going for elk, but maybe if I had a different experience on my elk hunt, you know, I think a lot of people say once you experience like a really good elk hunt and you get into them and you get close and your yeah. hair elk bugling, like you're hooked. I never had that experience. You know, I right. just hiked around the mountains for a week and hung out with my buddies, which was a good time, but we never really got into any elk. So maybe that would have changed my mind, but yeah, I went, I went a different route. So now that you've, I mean, you've got a mule deer under your belt, you've got an antelope under your belt, right? 
Yeah, I killed an antelope, uh, gosh, almost eight years ago now. But, yeah, I have killed one. Okay. So is this something that, like, you're still kind of into mule deer and antelope? Or are you? do you have anything in the back of your head saying, all right, well, I want to maybe hop into elk again. Or I want to go do mule deer instead of in the flatter yeah, ground. I yeah. want to go to the high country or whatever. Yeah. Uh, man, I'll be honest with you. I don't really know what the heck I want to do right now. I talked to... Dustin the other day I've got six preference points in Wyoming so I'm probably going to put in this year for an elk tag uh for out there if I get drawn I'll go with Dustin and that that hunt does happen on public ground um so but I mean usually he's saying from year to year I mean sometimes it's seven and eight points to to draw but you just never know so I am going to put in for elk this year if I don't get drawn I'll probably go do I don't, I don't know. I kind of have a vendetta where I want to go do an antelope, but I may do like an antelope deer combo hunt next year where I antelope hunt for a day or two and then, and then try to shoot deer when, when that opens in September. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know, man, it's it's so darn far away. I think first things first, I'm going to put in for an elk tag for next year and see if I get drawn. Um, I mean, shit, I'll be 39 next year, (laughs) which is insane. I feel like I'm 26 mentally anyways, (laughs) but uh, definitely getting closer to 40. So I I need to start getting some elk trips under my belt here before too long. I think I'm going to do like my goal on my 40th year, right? So when I turn 40, the, I turn 40 in November. So I think that year that I turn 40 which will be 2020 i'm pro i want to do it big like i want to go on an elk hunt i want to go on a mule deer hunt i want to do my two-week whitetail like i want to i want to do it big for 40 and plan it out that's kind of what i had planned on doing as well and chances are that's probably what i'll end up doing because i doubt that i'll draw a tag next year i mean there's always the off chance that i will yeah but it'll probably be the following year yeah well Good luck doing that. Uh, I know. Thanks. <laughs> for like, <laughs> what are you doing next year? Are you going elk hunting again, or are you thinking about doing something else? Well, I th- like as of right now, I just had so much fun. It was an ass kicker, right? But um, I just had so much fun with the crew of people that I was with, and sure. the the prop, just the land that we were walking through. Although difficult, I mean, it was awesome. I, it was absolutely awesome, and I, I definitely, I, I think I'm going to do that again. Um, but if for some reason that doesn't work out, I might do a out of state whitetail hunt out West, like Wyoming, or I guess not necessarily Wyoming. Cause you need to have preference points, but like, not always, it depends on the areas. Yeah. Some areas you don't Montana or, but you could, I mean, you could still buy preference points right now. Just an FYI. If you haven't bought Wyoming preference points, you yep. can still get them. I yep. think till the end of this month already bought my, I bought elk antelope and elk for, <laughs> Elk, antelope, and elk? Elk, antelope, and deer. Okay, well, then you should be points, able to draw right? a deer tag for next year. Yeah, I don't know in if most I wanna, areas. I don't know if I want to cash it in quite yet. Yeah, I hear you. I thought about trying to go out there and do a, a public land DIY deer hunt next year. You know, I love Dustin, and I love going with those guys, and the chances of success are infinitely higher, but there's just something about doing it yourself that's got an allure to it. Yeah, you absolutely. know, and after, after following along with your your buddy Kenyon and all his Montana adventures. It makes me want to go do it. You know, (laughs) I want to go do that. Uh, And Wyoming, like I know there's, I have a false sense of what Wyoming is like because I've only hunted without bitters on private ranches 
where there's like just an ungodly amount of animals. And, you know, it's not like that everywhere. Right. And a lot of this land is, is super difficult to access and hard to get into. And then you got to worry about, you know, packing the animals out. I mean, it's definitely a much more difficult hunt. Uh, but there's just something about the doing it yourself thing where you're just fully in control of your own destiny that has an allure to me. So with the elk thing, like I just, I have no idea what the hell I'm doing and I don't know that I'd be able to figure it out or get one out on my own. So that I'm a hundred percent cool with just like going with them because I honestly, if I can go kill one elk or have an opportunity to kill an elk, that would probably quench that thirst. And then I have other things I want to do. So I don't want to, I don't want to burn 10 years before I finally shoot an elk on my own, you know, I'd rather just ante up and and pay the money and go with a a good outfitter and have a great time, have a good hunt, know that you're going to get into some animals and then worry about everything else later. Right. I just had this realization a while ago where if I want to do some of this stuff, I got to do it now because, you know, yeah, I get a hunt deer in Iowa every single year, but I don't necessarily like i i just this is my i want to say my 1.5 version it not my second year going ever elk hunting because that first trip was like four years ago then this year i went but now i have the means financially to go every single year and the time to go every single year sure so i want to make sure i go and do something out west every single year uh from now until I don't know. I'm can't do it anymore. Do it anymore. <laughs> then I'll, yep. then I'll start maybe transitioning over to rifle hunting or something like that. I don't know. Sure. I, I'm the same way. One Western trip a year. And it's nice cause it's early. It happens before whitetail season gets rolling here in Illinois and Iowa. So that, that's definitely my, my plan as well. Right. Right. All right. So you walked away from Wyoming with, with <laughs> empty no, handed, yeah, empty handed, but still a good time. Right. I mean, hanging yeah, out, hanging out with your buds and getting to see the, the, the wildlife and the scenery is a win in my book. I take it. Absolutely. Absolutely a win. So we came home from that. That was uh gosh, we got home. It was still in August. It was end of August. And then we had a couple weeks. We went through Labor Day, hung out with the family, did all that stuff. And then, uh, last weekend or the weekend before September 15th, Wisconsin archery open. And we're only from, from where our office and where I live is at, I can be to the border of Wisconsin and probably about 30 minutes to the border. Oh, nice. Um, so we're pretty far North in Illinois. So we decided to take advantage of the fact that their season opens a little bit earlier than ours and the tags are over the counter. So uh, a couple of us bought Wisconsin archery tags and we headed North for opening weekend. <laughs> and you got eight and alive. Uh, no, you know, that opening weekend wasn't horrible. So, you know, because we don't hunt Wisconsin regularly, it's not like we have any farms. We don't really have any private access. So we decided to do public up there. So we decided we, uh, we picked a place in like South, uh, Western Wisconsin. It's about a two hour ride from where we live at. And a couple of us cruised out there, uh, the day before opening day and we actually uh, got a campsite and we camped out for the weekend. So it was a blast. We had a good time. But uh, that opening weekend, the weather was just atrocious. It was like 85 degrees during the day. Yeah. It didn't get it didn't get out of the 60s at night. And it was like super high humidity. The bugs were were bad, but they were tolerable. 
Uh, but deer movement was like pretty much non-existent, not just because of the weather, but because nobody told us that opening weekend on Wisconsin public land is similar to World War Three <laughs> happening. <laughs> and it's not so much the deer hunters you got to worry about. It's the squirrel hunters. And oh, I, really? and I and I hesitate to even call them squirrel hunters, at least some of them. I am thoroughly convinced some of these people are anti-hunters masquerading as squirrel hunters who just go into the woods and fire an obscene amount of bullets into the trees over and over and over again. I have never heard or experienced anything like this. There's people out there that are unloading their gun as fast as they can humanly pull the trigger and then they reload and do it again and again. And again, like I'm talking hundreds and hundreds of rounds of small caliber rifles being shot in every direction. It was absolute pure insanity. I never (laughs) experienced anything like it. What's a what's a non-resident tag cost for Wisconsin? Yeah, I think it's like 160 bucks. 160 bucks. Okay. Yeah. And that's relatively inexpensive, you know, considering everywhere else you go is, you know, anywhere from. I'd say 350 to 500 right. usually is a non-resident deer right. tag. So if Wisconsin was smart, they would increase the price of their non-resident tags and try to keep some of us Illinois folks out of there. Right. But uh, yeah, it's over the counter. It's freaking great. Their system, honestly, for buying tags is awesome. You don't even have to print anything out and bring it with you anymore. You can just keep it on your phone. When you shoot an animal, you don't have to even put a tag on it. You just call it in and record your confirmation number. And as long as you have it with you, that's all you need. You do not need to tag the animal. It's amazing. Wow. Well, and you think about it, and I feel like that just takes away a level of air away from people. You know, like sure. Uh, oh, you, you're saying you, uh, you you called it in. Well, there's one way to find out. Let me check my system. Yes, you did. No, you didn't. Like, yep. There's no issue with tagging your deer 15 minutes late, um, or you know, I know and that's a rule in Iowa. Like you, yeah. once you find it, you have 15 minutes to tag it or whatever, or yeah, you, you can't move it. and you can't move it right. until it's tagged. Right. right. Illinois is the same way. The thing I like about Wisconsin as well is you have until 5 PM the day following the kill to call it in, uh, which is great because guys, we all know that, you know, when you shoot something and you're, you know, whether you're trying to get it out or you're trying to get it, you know, to the cooler, or maybe you had to let it lay for a while, and then you go track it, and you get it, and it's the middle of the night, and you don't have good cell service. Like, it's a pain in the ass to do it right away. In Illinois, you have to call your deer in and register it by 10 p.m. the day of harvest. Oh, you get which is annoying in Iowa. Well, it's annoying, especially on an evening hunt early in the year. You know, if you shoot a deer at 6 30 7 o'clock and you leave it lay for a little while, and then you go back and get it, it takes you a little while to find it. You may not find the thing till. 9 nine thirty. in theory you're supposed to have it called in by 10 p.m that night right which is just stupid i mean five o'clock the next day is is more than enough time or 24 hours is more than enough time i don't know why we have this stupid stupid law in illinois well you need to become a lobbyist and change it i need to change that and the fact that we have to have our bows in cases when they're in our vehicles also need to be changed because that is equally as stupid being able to shoot a bow from a car you know, it's just, I just want to put my bow in the backseat of my car and go hunting in my truck. Yeah. Why do I have to have it in a case? Yeah. Just completely ridiculous. I go to Wyoming and I get in 
Dustin's truck to go somewhere and there's like four loaded uncased firearms just laying around the vehicle, you know, and he's like, oh, that's perfectly legal out here. In Illinois, you have to have your firearm unloaded in a case and your ammunition has to be stored in a different case than the one that your gun is stored. in. It's completely absurd. Well, that is absurd. And I'm sorry you have to deal with that. That sucks. So how did you, so our, how did you go, go about finding this public land? I mean, did you do any research? Was it through a friend of a friend that knew about uh, it? Or? Yeah, two years ago, uh, Tom Alfred and myself went up to this particular spot and we turkey hunted it uh, just on a whim. Tommy had gone up there during the during the spring, like, you know, March, and walked it a little bit and saw a bunch of turkeys. And he's like, yeah, hey, let's go try it. So we kind of picked that spot because I had some history with it. I knew the lay of the land from, from turkey hunting it. And I had an idea where I wanted to go. And then from there, honestly, I used topo maps and aerial maps. And I, I used Onyx maps a lot. Um, I love that freaking app, but I use that a lot to figure out where I wanted to go. And then we went up the day before and, uh, just, I went on a little hike, um, the day before opening day to go look for, you know, fresh acorns that were dropping. Uh, it was what I was looking for. So I had a spot to set up the next morning. So I wasn't going in totally blind. So that's what we did. And, you know, that first weekend, we ended up not seeing any deer. I mean, it was awful. I mean, it was, it was, there was people everywhere. We counted nine vehicles in one of the parking lots on opening morning. It was just completely overrun with mostly squirrel hunters. I'd say we're 60, 70% of the, the people that were out there were hunting squirrels. And then the, the other guys that were deer hunting. So, um, you know, opening weekend was a total bust. I hunted uh, all Saturday morning and afternoon and then Sunday morning. And then we called it quits and we came home. It was going to be like 86 degrees that that Sunday afternoon. And I just didn't feel like dealing with it. So we ended up coming home. And then this past Friday, I went back up there. We had a cold front that moved through. Uh, finally, after a week of super hot temperatures and some rain, finally we had a cold front push through. And it dropped the temperature like, I don't know, probably 20 plus degrees and uh, brought some high pressure with it. So I went back to the same stand that I hunted previous, the previous week uh, on that Saturday afternoon. I went there on Friday. And by the way, there was nobody in any parking lots anywhere. Uh, I take that back. There was one truck in one parking lot. But of the like five parking lots we drove by, nobody else was out there on a Friday afternoon because it was a weekday. Right. Um, got out there. It's one, I, I used my Onyx to, to map it. It's 1.7 miles from my truck to my tree stand where I was at, which is a major pain in the ass to walk that far with all that gear and then set up a stand and get in there. So, um, got in there, ended up seeing six deer. I saw four bucks and two does. Uh, the only deer I had in bow range that I could have shot was one of the does. Uh, and I decided that no doe was worth a two mile drag back to the truck. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I did not shoot her, but, but it felt good to see deer. Uh, I was in the right spot. I had deer within bow range, saw some, some bucks, nothing big enough that I would have wanted to shoot, but a couple nice young deer. So I was, I was pretty happy with that hunt all in all. So what was your expectations for Wisconsin now? Are, are, well, let me ask this first. Are you, <laughs> are you going back to Wisconsin I probably, I know I have at least one more hunt left in me. Uh, I think this Friday afternoon, uh, I'm going to try to go up and hunt. Uh, this weekend is my 10 year wedding anniversary. So I'll be out of town with my wife. Uh, hopefully no more babies are made because I'm babied out at this point. 
But uh, yeah, I will. I got at least one more Wisconsin hunt with me in me. And then once Illinois opens, I don't know that I'll go back up there or not. It all depends on how things are looking on my Illinois spots. You know, I just I got a couple of leases that, you know, we put a lot of work into and paid a lot of money for. And I would hate to just abandon them. Although I, I have to admit, I've kind of grown fond of this whole public land thing. It's it's kind of a fresh breath of air. Yeah. Just uh, packing my gear in and on a whim, deciding where I feel like hunting any given night. Uh, different pieces of property, different access, different wind directions, no trail cameras, no idea what to expect. Just kind of going in blind. It's got its own uh, allure to it that, you know, just in a couple of weeks of doing it, I've, I've kind of grown fond of. So I may do it a little bit more in, in mid-October. We'll see. I'm not, I'm not sure. I may just do some Illinois public ground. Uh, as well, I got a couple spots here in Illinois that I might hit. So I don't know. We'll see. So that so that leads me to the question: What is a shootable buck for you in Wisconsin? <laughs> I like to think anything that I believe is three years old or older. Uh, I don't care how big his rack may be. You know, I've seen a couple two-year-olds while I'm out now, and the thought certainly did cross my mind. You know, but. I don't know. I just don't know that I could do it. Sometimes I talk a big game like, yeah, I'm going to go shoot the first good two-year-old that walks in front of me. And then he steps out and there's, there's, there's nothing inside of me that goes, yes, I want to shoot this animal. Yeah. And if I don't have that feeling, I mean, what's the, what's the point really? Right. So, uh, I'd consider maybe shooting a doe if I'm in a spot that's not like super ungodly, terrible to have to drag one out from, you know, last night I was about three quarters of a mile from the truck, but it was relatively flat. Um, and it would have been a fairly easy drag with a deer cart. So probably would have shot a doe. But last night I, I saw two young bucks, uh, a year and a half and a two and a half. I could have shot both of them. So that was my last two public hunts. I've actually seen deer and had them within bow range, which is pretty encouraging. Yeah. So for you, like when you go out of state, um, whether, and I know a lot of it depends on what state, where you're going, like public, private, all that stuff. But do you lower your standards quite a bit? Uh, like, do you feel, okay, well, I've paid this money for a tag. I really want to take something home. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it all depends. Right. I mean, so I'll, I'll, let's go back to the elk hunting thing. You know, I, think i would shoot probably any legal bull elk when when i go hunting even if it's an outfitted hunt or not like obviously i think the outfitters always want you to shoot the more mature animals but they also tell you you know shoot whatever you want you know their, their big thing is don't uh pass on the first day what you would shoot on the last day so like in a case where i've never shot an elk before and i don't know how many elk hunts i'm going to go on i'm probably not going to be quite so picky but if i was to go out out west and do like let's say another mule deer hunt like i already shot a pretty good mule deer like 160 inch mule deer am i going to shoot a, a, a small one probably probably not you know it doesn't appeal to me at this point uh, i'd like to hold off for something fairly respectable and if i don't shoot one then i don't shoot one i think the same one you know for antelope um you know i don't want to shoot a, a super super small one because i've already got a halfway decent one at home yeah. but so it all depends you know and like you said it depends on you know my hunting public private am i with an outfitter is it a diy like there's different different sets of standards depending on what you're doing. I mean, my standards for what I want to shoot in Wisconsin are definitely lower than what I want to shoot here in Illinois on some of these, you know, private pieces of, of property where I've got, 
you know, some four and five year old animals that I have history with. And I got a bunch of three year olds. I have zero interest in shooting. I hope I don't even see them. But when I go up to Wisconsin, I'm like, all right, we're looking for a three year old or better and it's dead. So, you know, the standards all all based on the, the scenario. Yeah, I think for me, man, going if I was to go on an out of state whitetail hunt, knowing that it's going to be probably lesser property when I mean lesser, I mean, yeah, you always have that case where you could run into a giant, but you're the, coming from Iowa. Everywhere yeah. is lesser. Well, you know what I mean? <laughs> like going to, let's say Illinois, I mean, Illinois has got a, a ton of great property and sure. a lot of big bucks, but the property that I'm going to, isn't going to be the equal same property on in Illinois or Wisconsin or hell, Wyoming, North Dakota, South Dakota, Nebraska, whatever. I, sure. I I feel like my standards would drop drastically and I would probably be shooting I don't know. I don't I don't even I don't even know because it, it's more of uh at the at that moment what kind of mood I'm in. And I think sure. that you know one, And that's what it should be though, yeah. right? I mean going you we all go in with these preconceived notions of what we're gonna do or what we wanna have happen, but in the heat of the moment when that animal steps out, if it gets your blood pumping and you're ready to go by all means shoot it you know yeah yeah who cares right and that's the same thing for like if i was ever to go out and start hunting mule deer out west i i have a feeling that i would do my best to locate something decent but if i get the opportunity to shoot my very first ever mule deer then he's only like the uh, i don't know a hundred inches i'll probably shoot a hundred inch mule deer Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah, believe me. When I went out there on that first trip, I wasn't going to hold out for a big mule deer by any means. Like, I didn't want to shoot a super small one, but I wasn't holding out for a, you know, I need a Pope and Young quality mule deer. Get me in front of something halfway decent and I'm shooting. That's all I really asked for. So, but it's like whitetails. It's like anything, you know, you know, you've done it once and now you're like, okay, I, I got it under my belt now i can you know afford to be a little bit pickier on those next ones but yeah for an elk man i'd probably shoot any damn elk that walked in front of me what were you going to shoot in colorado what was your plan man my my i was going to shoot the very first elk that walked in front of me legal bull or cow sure right so if it was a cow and what's a legal bull four four by four yeah i think it was a four on one side or it had to have like eight inch fronts on it whatever those are called sure so um typically that's a four by four uh for like well, i guess what they call them raghorns or something like that yeah yeah um, but i don't know and uh it just depends like the day like first day of the hunt uh if they're if the bulls were screaming i definitely would have been uh and, and we were having more encounters i probably there's a potential i would have passed uh, on a cow but I don't know. I, I, we didn't, I didn't have to make any of those decisions. So sure. But so going back to this Wisconsin hunt, when you were out there, did you, are you guys staying in a tent? Are you staying in a, uh, a hotel? Yeah we, yeah. we tended it that first weekend. We stayed in the campground, okay. which was great, man. We came back, you know, after the hunt and changed clothes and had a campfire and cooked some food and drank a couple beers and just kind of hung out. It was miserable sleeping conditions. <laughs> Just because it was so hot. Yeah. But, uh, oh, I mean, we had a blast. I think there was there was four of us up there. 
Right. So we had, we had a good time, man. And I would love to do that again when the conditions are a little bit nicer. And we're probably going to make that like an annual trip for us. We may end up skipping opening weekend, to be honest with you, just because it was such a madhouse. Yeah. And we'll probably end up going that second or third weekend, um, you know, in the future. Uh, but I would definitely say like last night was Sunday night. I, I drove around this public that I hunted and I drove past four other parking lots, including the one that I was in. And there wasn't another truck anywhere, right? you know, and it was a pretty big section. Now, granted, most of the people may have stayed home because the mosquitoes were so bad. <laughs> it almost kept me home. Uh, but I mean, there's definitely opportunities out there. And I mean, public is public. You're always going to run into people. You know, I ran into a guy, you know, more than a mile and a half back from the truck after I humped literally as far away from the vehicle as I could get, you know, and I still ran into people. Um, but it is what it is. I mean, that's just part of the game, right? Right. Absolutely. All right. So Wisconsin, no, no go there uh, for you in uh, Wisconsin yet. You're now openers coming up this week in Illinois. I, I want to talk a little bit about what your plays are in Illinois. And what I mean by that <laughs> is your, your strategy leading up to the rut. I mean, let's talk trail cameras talk about when you're going to start going in when you're going to start getting aggressive when you're going to make your moves all that stuff man i don't know anymore i've tried i feel like i've tried everything in the book at this point and i'm just not sure that you know sometimes it works it's like anything um but my plan for this year to be totally frank with you is my first opening weekend so if we i don't think i'm going to hunt opening day of the season that monday Um, So I'll probably hunt maybe one afternoon that week. But that first weekend is youth gun season. So we got to wear orange here in Illinois. I was going to take my six-year-old out. I got a ground blind set up on a food plot. And I want to shoot a doe off this food plot early season, like either that Saturday or Sunday evening. That was really my plan to get started. Now with the bugs as bad as they are, I'm not sure that he's going to make it out there. And I don't know about your kids, but my kids, like when they get bit by a mosquito – it swells up like you would not believe and it's there for like two weeks. Like I get, I I don't know, maybe it's because I've been bit a million times, but like I get bit and it swells up for like two hours and then it's gone. My kids, it lasts for like two weeks and I don't want to subject them to, to this hellacious bug. So we'll have to see how it is. We might end up waiting an extra week for him, but my, my, my early season is usually try to go out and shoot a doe somewhere on, on green, you know, some sort of food plot or a hay field uh, or maybe if there's any standing beans or something like that, uh, probably just evening hunts at this point. Um, hope maybe I luck into a buck, but I'm really, I've never had great luck getting into, into bucks early in the year. Now, if we get a cold snap, a good cold snap that first, you know, 10 days of October, uh, I definitely think it'll put, put some bucks in their feet. And at that point I might get a little bit more aggressive because they're unpressured. And that first cold snap I've historically seen over the last decade or so since we've been filming hunts and had this big team of guys that when that first cold front in October comes through, somebody somewhere is going to shoot a buck um, that night. I mean, it's just, it happens every year and it seems to me to be on green food and I don't know why it is, but that's just kind of what it seemed like. So I will try Uh, other than that. um, Acorns, you know, is a big thing. I'm a huge, huge on acorns. I mean, I watched this little buck last night come out of his bedding area go out into a bean field, nibble on a couple of leaves, and then he beelined for an oak tree and just parked his ass underneath there and ate, ate acorns 
for the last half an hour until it got too dark for me to see him. So I definitely think acorns is a huge, huge thing. Uh, I got one buck in particular close to the house here that I believe I actually kicked him up Saturday night. Uh, I went out to check some trail cameras and I think he was under an acorn tree. I've been getting a lot of pictures of him uh, in that general area. And there was a big, big set of real fresh tracks going down the edge of the field and all of a sudden they ducked into the woods and I was like, Oh, that's weird. He must've cut in the woods right there. I took about another five steps and I heard a deer take off from underneath that Oak tree. So acorns is key for me, but I won't really start hunting seriously, seriously till probably about the 20th, maybe of October and on. Yeah. I don't know, man. I think I'm just going to dive in this year. Like just go for just it. Just go for it. I don't like I've, I've, filled my tag the last two years like i just recently had a podcast with a guy named cody DeQuisto. Uh, I, yeah i know think, cody yeah and the dude's killed 80 percent of his bucks before october 20th every single year yeah so he's pretty and just gr- getting aggressive and going into bedding areas yeah just like going in finding finding where these deer are at and then making a move hard at them and of that, of that eighty percent, he said sixty percent of those deer are morning hunts, early October. Honestly, that I've killed a couple deer in mid October, like yeah. uh, 16, 17, 18, 19th in that range, and they've all been morning hunts. Dude, I'm telling you, but I think people are missing out by not hunting mornings in October. Well, yeah, it's kind of like the popular thing, like the last few years has been like, oh, I don't hunt mornings in October. Yeah. And I'm like, well, when I only get, you know, two days a week to hunt, I'm going in the morning, whether whether it's good or not. Yeah. But absolutely. yeah, I mean, the 16th through the 20th, I've killed a couple pretty good bucks in, in mornings. Yeah. Morning sits. Definitely. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. And I think that is what I'm going to do uh that weekend where I have my wife, she's got like plans for Thursday, Friday, Saturday, the first week and Sunday, the first week in October. I think I'm just going to go hunt morning, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, yeah. And at least I'll get something in. Right. May as well. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Really? Yeah. You know, sometimes I think we, we overcomplicate deer hunting, you know, we're, yeah. we're too worried about things and it prevents us from just going out and, and just going for it, yeah. you know, and sometimes you just got to go for it. So I guess, in Cody's case, how is he finding out where these bucks are at? What's his method for determining there's a buck living here? Is it just looking for sign? Is sign, it seeing the deer? scouting, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. So I will say, I, what I will say is, you know, and this as it pertains backwards to what we're talking about with my Wisconsin public stuff, and even backwards to talking about the going out west and going with an outfitter, like the biggest disadvantage that I face right now is I haven't scouted anything. You know, I really wish back in the spring I would have went and walked a bunch of these properties so I knew what I was getting myself into. There's only so much you can learn from an aerial map and from a topo. You know, once you get boots on the ground, then you're either going to confirm or deny what you're thinking is going on. But I would have much rather, I feel like I'd be a lot better off right now because I'm hunting some field edges. And I don't know about you, but I haven't killed a lot or many or any maybe bucks on field edges um in my life especially like now that i'm on public like these bucks just don't want to come out into the into a field you know during daylight they're not showing their face maybe the little ones are maybe the does are but you want to kill something better you know you got to get 
back where they're at. The problem is I have no idea where they're at right now. So that's kind of the one disadvantage that I'm at. And when it comes to the hunting out West thing, I think the biggest advantage that you gain is that the outfitters are scouting every single day. Yeah. Every day they're scouting and they know where those animals are at, like the back of their hand. And that's the biggest advantage that you have because I know so many people that go on these hunts out of state spend, you know, all of their time figuring out where the hell the animals are. And then right when they get it figured out, it's time to go home. Yeah. You know, I talked to a couple guys last year when we went to Kansas and did our, our public land DIY thing. And they all said the same thing. Like we just didn't give ourselves enough time to scout and learn where these animals were. You know, I met some guys that go down there for two, three, four weeks. And then one guy's like, I'll, I'll take a week, maybe 10 days. And all I'm doing is scouting. I'm, yeah. I'm driving, I'm glassing, I'm walking properties, trying to figure out where these animals are at. And once I got a beat on them, then I start hunting. Yeah. But that doesn't happen in a day. I mean, sometimes you'll get lucky and go in and, and, and luck into one. But I think scouting is probably the most underrated thing when it comes to hunting. We talk about all these tips and tactics and trail cameras and scents and food plots and this and that. But I mean, none of that, any of that means jack shit unless you scout and you know what those animals are doing at that point in time. Yeah. And I, I was talking to a guy who he does a lot of out of state hunts, right? So he has, he has his main spots where he hunts um, in his home state. But when he goes out of state and he's going either to a new place or a new state or whatever, he's, he says he spends 85 to 90% of hit that hunt, that quote unquote hunt scouting and the other 10% is hunting. So if he's, if he's, he says that if it's a 10, if it's a 10 day hunt, he will literally scout until he finds something to move in on. And that could be 10 days. Or it could just never happen, or he could find him on the first day and m- go in, you know. But as the time starts to progress, um, he he starts to have these historically good spots, so he knows where to come back the next year. Right? Sure, and every I mean, and there's always those spots that year in year out are going to produce. You know, we all have those spots, but at least, it, and even if it shifts a little bit based on whether it's food source or whatever the case may be, pressure, you know, you're generally in the right area yeah. and you can then hone in from there. But finding those right areas, it's a, it's a timely process. And that's kind of like you're, you're talking about going elk hunting every year, you know, and do the DIY elk hunting thing. Like once you get it honed in and you know an area pretty well and you know where you've got historical data to reference, you know, in years past, you know, it certainly makes things a lot easier. Right. But those first couple of years, I'm sure, are very painful for people to figure out where to go and what to do. Right. It's almost like you need to – let's say every year I have 10 days uh, to hunt, right? like 10, 10, 10 vacation days that I'm wanna, I, I want to dedicate to an out-of-state hunt. It's almost like you need to take a summer trip out there and scout sure. – to find these deer or find good locations in the summer or even after the season's over in the spring and then use that information for the upcoming hunt. Yeah. Well, that's what we did with Kansas last year. We went out in the spring and we scouted for a couple of days and turkey hunted at the same time. So, I mean, and we thought that we walked a lot of properties and had a good idea of what we wanted to do. And then when we came back in the fall, like, we went to these properties and there was no sign or there was tree stands all over the place. And all of a sudden 
you know, plan A, B and C get blown up and you're sitting there going, crap, now what do I do? Right. Now you're going in blind, you know, plans D, E and F. And that was the same way in my Wisconsin public this year. I got up there and I found this spot. It was just raining acorns. It was this awesome side hill, perfect little funnel, big CRP kind of bedding area to one side. I'm like, this is money. Like, I'm just going to camp out in this spot for two days and I guarantee a deer is going to come through here. And then all of a sudden it gets light and they're shooting everywhere. There's guys walking everywhere, you know, and it was like, uh-oh, now what am I going to do? I didn't have a plan B. So I had to tear everything down and go walk a mile to try to find, you know, plan B. And that's where I say I wish I would have gone there in the spring and had a much better lay of the land. So I would have at least had an idea of where to go with the exception of sitting on a field edge. You know, I want to go find a saddle in the woods somewhere that's got acorns around it, you know, and, and actually put myself in an opportunity to maybe be able to shoot a, a decent buck, right. not kind of just be forced to be like, OK, there's some trails coming into this inside corner out into a field. I know I'm going to see deer here, you know, but it, it's probably not going to be the caliber of deer that I'm looking for. But with the limited amount of time that I have, I, I just can't go busting through the woods. I, I got to literally walk out there and set up a tree stand right now. Yeah. So th- this is the best it's going to get. Yep, absolutely. All right, I have some really fast questions for you because we're coming up on time here. Rapid fire. Rapid fire, and you just answer, no elaboration, you just answer fast, okay? Got it. How many properties do you have to hunt in Illinois? Three. Three, okay. What caliber of deer are you looking for this year in Illinois? Four-year-old or older. Four-year-olds or older. Do you have those deer on those properties so far that you know of? Yes. Okay. What's the biggest deer that you have on trail camera? Uh, maybe 160. Okay. All right. And uh, how many How many total shooters that meet that criteria oh. do you have on trail camera so far this year? Uh, probably eight, eight, nine between the three farms. That's good. That's those are good. Options. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's two or three on each on each farm. I'd say. Cool. That are worth shooting, cool. and the farms range from a hundred acres to let's say five hundred acres. Okay. On the big on the big one. Gotcha. And the last question is, do you like pumpkin spiced beer? Uh, not really. Yeah. I but just... I do. But I do like a pumpkin spice latte, and I don't care who knows it. That's fine. Screw all you haters out there. Dude, I stopped giving a shit what people thought about me years ago. <laughs> and I think this podcast reflects that. <laughs> I definitely think so, yes. Uh, yeah, pumpkin beer, eh, I might be able to drink one. Yeah. You know, and that that's that's about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, man. I drank one pumpkin spice beer while I, while I was talking to you today. And I'm not a fan of it. I don't like it. What are you gonna do with the rest of them? Uh, my you wife have will to drink, drink them. My wife will drink them, uh, or I'll dump them down the drain to make room for a Coors Light or something. <laughs> oh, there you go. See, they, you know, when we went camping, that's what I brought was Coors Light, and Tom Alford was like poo-pooing my my Coors Light. He's a Bud Light drinker, which I just think tastes like horse piss. Yeah, uh, let me tell you something. Uh, there's two kinds of beer that I like and it, it is free and cold. I I'll go with that. Yeah. I'm, you know, there are some, there are some, uh, quick, here's a really quick story before we end. We were, 
man, just like my freshman or sophomore year in college, and I don't even know if I was a legal drinking age yet. But Of course you were. Yeah, of course I was. <laughs> Me and my buddy stop at this gas station in some town in Missouri, and we didn't have a lot of cash on us because we didn't go to the ATM yet, and we had like seven bucks. And we bought... Or, and we bought some food and a six pack of beer that was a white can. It didn't even have any warning labels on it. And it said, it said beer. It said beer, <laughs> 12 ounces, white can, black lettering. And we bought that and we were kind of uh, did a little uh, back road in it down to the Lake of the Ozarks with those, uh, with those beers. And which I do not condone to anybody. You know, that was back in my. 20s which was a whole different i was a whole different person back then uh, we all did a lot of dumb things when right. we were younger that we wish we never did right and uh that tasted like wet cardboard <laughs> i just i <laughs> i can still remember the taste of it today and every time i see my buddy we joke about it so yeah when you're that age you don't even care though yeah absolutely it's, it, like, it's not for it's taste cheap. at that point yeah and that's just why we drank like a whole lot of like natural light. Oh man! You know, back in the day. Yeah. I don't understand everybody's fascination nowadays with Bush Light, which I I think is a horrible beer. But it's like that's like the cool like if you're country and you like to hunt and fish, listen to country music, you you drink Bush lattes apparently. Yeah. Well, is the thing. That's what I grew I up know. on was Bush Light. You could get a thirty pack for nine bucks. When I was no, believe me, I drank my fair share of it in college, yeah. but I never liked it. Yeah, I don't know why any adult would choose to drink that beer hey, that has the financial means to afford something else. Yeah, I tell you what, memories—it's all about memories <laughs> or lack <Great>. thereof. <laughs> bad memories, bad memories in most cases. So. All right. Well, I tell you what, Mister Czar, let me say good luck this upcoming season, and uh, you too, buddy. We'll have to. Maybe we should touch base again before the rut hits. Yeah, see if we've killed any deer in October with our super aggressive tactics. That's right. That's right. I'm just going to go in and I don't know what I'm going to do. Cannonball. Just cannonball it. Cannonball the timber. Just blast through the timber. Yeah. Do you guys, do you know what buckthorn is? Do you have any buckthorn by you? You're, I think it's like European, European or Eurasian or something like that, buckthorn. You, we call it uh, multiflower rose. Well, multiflower rose is different, but okay. we have buckthorn here, which is the worst plant known to humankind. And I don't think I could cannonball through that stuff if I wanted to. Gotcha. I probably would die. Gotcha. But I'm going to try it in the name of good podcasting. Right. You bet your sweet ass I'm going in somewhere. I'll tell you what, here's the deal. What, you said you got nine or ten bucks on trail camera that are yeah. shooters. You just That means you have nine or ten different opportunities to go in and be aggressive on right. those particular bucks i'm accepting your challenge all right I'll... screw you i'm going and i'm going to blow out every deer i have hey you know what try to kill them dude you know what's going to happen is you're going to do it and you're going to be successful and you're going to never go back to hunting the i'm going to go again. do it i'm just going to have fun that's right any any which way about it i'm going to have fun i think that's what i'm going to do too let's do it all right it's the challenge the czar johnson Get aggressive, kill a buck before October 20th challenge. All right. I tell you what, for all the listeners too, I I, I want to ex- put this challenge out there as well. I want all of us to try to kill a buck before October 20th. All right. Fair enough. All right. I don't know where or how I'm going to do it, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to freaking try. Amen. Amen. <laughs> all right, man. Have a good one, and uh, let's touch base in November. All right. Thanks, bud.
And there you have it. Huge shout out to my man, Justin Zarr. I really appreciate it when he comes on, takes time out of his busy schedule because I know he's a father of three as well. So he's busy. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Huge shout out to each and every one of you who have taken time out of your busy schedule to listen to this podcast. I really appreciate it. And like I always say, if it wasn't for you, this would not be happening. Huge shout out to all of the partners of this podcast. Exodus, Wasp, Lone Wolf, Deer Lab, Prime, Ripcord, Ozonix, and Hunter Safety Systems. Uh, Be sure to go check out all of those companies that support this podcast um, because without them, I wouldn't be here either. So huge shout out to those guys. And you know, I covered a lot of stuff in the intro. Just a friendly reminder, be sure to go follow, like, listen, share, whatever on the Sportsman's Nation Facebook and Instagram pages, as well as the Nine Finger Chronicles, hell, and all of the contributors to the Sportsman's Nation. Last but not least, if you're going to be in a tree, our friends at Hunter Safety Systems are reminding us to please wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week. Thank you.